Welcome to the Radiant Life Church Podcast. You're about to hear a message that we pray will inspire your heart and challenge your faith. For more information on RLC, please visit myrlc.family or check us out on social media. Have a blessed day. Now here's your message. you guys for helping mark this moment for Pastor Bree and for our church. And man, I know I can say this with confidence, right? She's going to be missed. But this is what the church does, right? The church isn't just a building. The church is a movement that multiplies. The church is something that's meant to grow and expand. And with that growth and expansion comes some discomfort. But man, we're so excited. And I, I think about moments like today. This will be a moment that is marked for Pastor Bree and for Pastor Lance, Pastor Angel, marked for our church for a long time. And it gets me thinking about the moments that tend to mark us, right? Like not just life transition, but like these moments that you know in the moment carry some significant weight. Like I remember at 18 being in my parents' basement and deciding to follow Jesus for the first time all by myself. That moment marks me, right? I remember being in an upper room, and unless you think that upper room here is spiritual, this was overlooking a gymnasium, okay? So there were balls bouncing down below. But sitting in that, in that upper room and re- feeling like for the first time God was calling me into vocational ministry and thinking, uh-uh, ain't doing that, right? But that was a moment that marked me. Um, I think about going to college and wanting to quit and feeling like all I want to do is just go back home and not do this thing anymore, not pursue ministry, just don't think it's going to work out for me, and God meeting me at a worship night and basically telling me, man, get your act together. What are you here for? That's a moment that marked me. I remember sitting down at Akron Family Restaurant with Pastor Lance about four years ago, a little over four years ago now. And having the conversation, or right around four years, having a conversation of what would it look like for your church to come and be a part of our church and for us to do this thing together. That's a moment that marks me. But here's the thing we know about moments that mark us is they're not always so good. The moments that mark us aren't always the ones where we feel like we're the hero of the story or things are working out for us. Sometimes the moments that really mark us are the ones that break us. They're the ones that hurt us in a good way that they lead to a good sense of regret. They lead to life change. And I had one of these just a couple weeks ago. Uh, I've been, for the last really probably eight, nine months, really been diving into and praying about what, what does it look like for God to really use a church, use a movement, use a person in the way of healing. And I've been thinking about it, praying about it. We pray for people for healing all the time at Rosemary Community Dinner. And really just feeling emboldened in this area. And I had just listened to a sermon where a pastor said, here's the thing about healing in the New Testament. It's ordinary, it's expected, and it doesn't always happen. And I loved that framework. And I remember as I was listening to this sermon, I'm listening to it and I'm thinking, man, this is something I really believe God wants me to operate in. But how many of you guys know God asks you to do something and then there's always a little bit of risk involved, right? So that Thursday... I'm driving over to our Rosemary campus from my house, and I had to stop and get some gas, get some water bottles, all that stuff. And I'm in Circle K, and I make small talk with people. You might not know this or not. I like to talk, okay? I like to have conversations. Maybe it's just a little part of my life. And so I'm asking the lady at Circle K, like, hey, how you doing? It's normal stuff. And normally when you ask that question, somebody just says what? I'm good, right? I'm good. No big deal. It's been a pretty good day. Or, eh, it's all right. But she looked at me, and she says, You know, 
I just, my knee has been really, really hurting me. And it's just been this way for a long time. And I'm talking to her, and she's pointing out, like, hey, she's got a little stool she can sit on. And as she's talking to me, I, I really feel strongly, you should pray with this woman for healing. You should pray with her for healing. And I thought, that's awkward. I thought, what if she says no? I look back, there's a line of people behind me. I'm like, they've been waiting for a while because I'm already talking to this lady too much. What are they going to think? And I kept thinking, you should pray with this woman for healing. And as I walked out of the door of the Circle K, I thought, you should turn around and pray for this woman for healing. And as I pumped my gas, I thought, when this is done, you should walk back in and pray with this woman for healing. And as I closed my door and started my car, I thought, you should probably pray with this woman for healing. So I pulled onto West Market Street. I thought, it's not too late. You can turn around and pray with this woman for healing. So I pulled into our Rosemary campus about 10 minutes away. I thought, she's probably still working. It's not too late. You should probably pray with this woman for healing. And I just got to be honest, guys, I never went back. Never went back. And here's what I believe. I believe God is bigger than my disobedience, okay? So I'm not saying that, like, I'm the only shot this woman has at being healed. But it hit me hard over the next few days. Man, I missed a moment. I let other things get in the way of what Jesus wanted to do. His desire that he had for one of his daughters that I could have been a part of the potential of God doing something great. And it got me thinking back to when I was a brand new Christian. When I was a brand new Christian, I remember feeling this excitement and this weight of responsibility. That it was my job as a follower of Jesus to help change the world. That it was my job that wherever I went, the kingdom was coming with me and I was gonna bring hope, I was gonna breathe life and I was gonna offer healing. That everywhere I went, I felt like I was a part of something bigger than myself. And I hope for most of us, especially when you're a brand new Christian, that that's a part of your heart and a part of your life to think, man, I'm a part of something much bigger than myself. But what happens is, over time, we start to drift off mission. What happens over time is we get, or I'll just speak for myself, I get comfortable with this. I get comfortable with church. I get comfortable with a microphone in my hand. I get comfortable with praying for people in a very controlled environment. I get comfortable with the title I've been given. I get comfortable and I forget my title doesn't mean anything all I'm here to do, whether I'm titled pastor or plumber, is to advance the kingdom of God. And yet I forget that. And here's what I, just my hunch. If I forget that, I feel like we probably forget that too. Because here's the reality. Every single one of us are meant to be living on mission. Every single one of us are meant to be living on on mission. This life is not about how neat and tidy can I make this life be? How comfortable can I be? This life is meant to be a little bit messy because when you're living on mission, guess what it is? It's a little bit messy. In fact, one of my professors puts it like this. He says, Christianity is the greatest rescue mission the world has ever seen. That what we are meant to do as followers of Jesus Christ is we are meant to go to the dark places 
interact with people who are stuck there and do our best to show them the love of Jesus Christ that can change their life. We're on a rescue mission corporately as a church and individually as people. In fact, before Jesus ascends to heaven, he says this in Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 18. It says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus is saying, I have this authority that I'm giving you, and guess what always comes with authority? Responsibility. He's giving us an authority that carries a responsibility that you are to go and make disciples. You are to go and teach people about me. You are to go and help people to walk in obedience to my ways. Not in a way that's heavy-handed, but in a way that's led by love. That you love them enough to go to them and show them what life is really supposed to be about what life is really meant to be like. And we don't do this on our own because Jesus says this in Acts 1.8, once again, before he ascends to heaven. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that word for power he uses there, this isn't like a power that you have in reserve. This is a power that's described as being in work or in action. In other words, it's an active power that you're given to see the world around you be changed, that Jerusalem, where you live, would be changed, that Judea, the region that you live in, would be changed, Samaria, other cultures, people who are nothing like you, would be changed to the ends of the earth. I think that's pretty self-explanatory, right, that we are meant to be a part of the power of God. We are called by God, empowered by the Spirit, to live on mission. And just in case you think, well, maybe that didn't translate after Jesus went to heaven, here's what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 19. He says, For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So this was God's work, but who did he give responsibility to? He gave it to us. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. As God's partners, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. God's partners, how crazy is it that when Jesus decides, here's how I'm going to save the world, he says, yeah, you're going to partner with me in that. Like, we're going to do this thing together as God's partners. And then he finishes it with this. He says, for God says, at just the right time, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. So the scripture's clear. We have been called by Jesus and empowered by the Spirit to live on mission. But as clear as the scriptures are, guess what? The data is also really clear that we have this mission, 
but we're missing the mission. We're missing the mission. So here's some data. Pastor Lance is going to love this because I feel like data stats are his love language. But here's what we see. The Hartford Institute for Religious Research says it like this, that 85% of churches in America are stalled or declining. Now, these are pre-COVID numbers, okay? So just imagine, this is two and a half, three years ago. 85% of churches in America are stalled or declining. That means they're either getting smaller or they're just kind of staying as is. So that means there's 15% of churches in America that are growing. Of that 15%, 14% are growing through transfer growth. So that means somebody moved to a new town, they found a new church. Somebody was unhappy somewhere, they found a new church. Not always a bad thing, right? But 14% of the 15% of growing churches in America are growing, and we're just shuffling the numbers from one church to another. That means that 1% of churches in America are growing through people coming to faith in Christ that they're growing through what we call conversion. So what that tells us is, man, if that's only 1%, the kingdom of God that is meant to be advancing in America, boy, it's going real slow, real slow. 53,000 people are leaving church every single week is what Barna tells us. 50 pastors leave the ministry every single day. 65% of the population around us hold to a secular worldview, and I would guess that number is only growing. And then that great commission we read about earlier from Matthew 28, here's what the stats tell us, that only about 17% of Christians in America are even familiar with the phrase, the great commission. How can we live on mission when we don't understand that we have one? That church is about more than just coming and sitting and being fed, but it's being fed so that I can go. We are called by Jesus, empowered by the Spirit, to live on mission. Now, this is where I point the finger back to myself, lest you think I'm picking on you. Because I can critique people being comfortable in church, but guess what I am? Comfortable in church. I can critique and say, man, we need to be going more and showing more love and taking more risks and praying more prayers. But guess what? I don't always do that. I'm missing the mission. And so as we're talking in this series straight from the heart, I I gotta be honest with you, this is where the the sermon for me gets a little more personal um, because these are some things now I've had to think through in reflecting on the moment that I missed a few weeks ago. And I've had to really sit down and pray and ask the Holy Spirit, hey, what in me needs to change if I'm going to be a part of changing the world? So I've written down what I just call four commitments that I'm making to myself and to God to say, I'm going to remember that I'm called by Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit to live on mission. And my hope is these commitments help you as well. So four commitments. The first commitment is this, that I am committed to dying to myself. I am committed to dying to myself. There are times in life where I can sit back and go, there is too much of me in this situation right now. I have depended too much on myself to make something happen right now. And yet, the call that Jesus gives us when he looks at the crowd and he says, 
if any one of you wants to be my follower, here's where he starts. You must give up your own way. Other translations say you must deny yourself. That if you're going to follow me, your life has to be more about me than it is about you. That this process we're in, that we call sanctification, it's becoming more like Jesus and less like me. It's not about the way our culture says about us finding our true self as if that's anything of value. It is finding Jesus. It is about knowing him, walking in his ways, but I have to die to myself. Here's the tough thing about dying to yourself. It is not a one-time decision. It's not something like I woke up one day at 18 and went, you know what, I'm going to follow Jesus and I'm going to die to myself. There it is. Perfect. We have to commit day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment to saying, this life cannot be about me. It's got to be about Jesus. That means it's more than just an act of the will, but it's a move of the Holy Spirit in our lives. This is why I love what David prays in Psalm 139. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And then check this part out. He says, point out anything in me that offends you. When's the last time you asked God to do that? Like, when's the last time you felt good about yourself and you just thought, you know what? This might be a good moment to say, God, is there anything in me that bothers you? Is there anything in me that you don't like? What happens is, God's gracious, he's going to point it out. We have to be committed to dying to ourselves. And I'll say this real quick. There's nobody in the scriptures, if you're wanting to see what does it look like to die to yourself, study John the Baptist. There's this point in John the Baptist's ministry, he kind of runs parallel with Jesus for most of it. And one day, he's already baptized Jesus, he's been telling his followers that Jesus is the Messiah, he's the one who's coming, you should follow him. But there's a moment where he's still baptizing people, and across the river, Jesus is baptizing people, and John's followers start to notice a problem. They say, Rabbi, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you identified as the Messiah, is also baptizing people, and everybody is going to him instead of coming to us. This is a problem for most people, am I right? Because what you're seeing is your influence is getting smaller. Your stage is getting smaller. What you have found value in is disappearing. But John's response is everything when it comes to dying to yourself. He replies, no one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. You yourselves know how plainly I told you I am not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare the way for him. It is the bridegroom or the groom who marries the bride. And the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, John says, I am filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater and I must become less and less. That is the mantra of the Christian life. That he must become greater and greater, I must become less and less. In every area of my life, is Jesus becoming greater, or am I becoming greater? Who is losing out when decisions have to be made? Is it me, or is it Jesus? Because he must become greater and greater, I must become less and less. Here's what we need to know is that we need to set ourselves aside so Jesus can shine. 
We have to set ourselves aside so Jesus can shine because we are called by Jesus, empowered by the Spirit to live on mission, which takes us to our second commitment. And it's that I am committed to putting what God definitely wants over what other people might think. I am committed to putting what God definitely wants over what other people might think. So I go back to Circle K and I'm thinking to myself in that moment where God says, you should pray for healing for this person. One of the first things I think is, let's look at everybody behind me. And I'll tell you, here's what that showed me. I care way too much about what other people think. Because at the end of the day, you know what God definitely wants? He definitely wants people to experience him. God definitely wants people who are watching somebody get prayed for experience what God can do. God definitely wants to change lives, but I was too concerned about what other people might think. I don't think I'm alone in that, right? Because let's be honest, when you decide to follow Jesus, we all get to this place where your friends start to ask questions. Because if we're being honest, at least in today's day and age, they're concerned that maybe you ended up as a part of a cult, so they want to make sure you're okay, right? So they're not even asking it from a bad place, but they're going to be like, hey, are you, are you sure you really want to start serving a couple times a month? Like, are you, you sure? You sure you're going to go on Wednesday nights? Like, maybe this is a little too much. Just slow down a little bit, right? We're all concerned about what people might think. And you've probably heard this if you've been in church for any number of time, any amount of time. But here's the reality is that people pleasing will keep you from pleasing God. People pleasing will keep you from pleasing God because, man, what God tells us is that his wisdom seems like foolishness to the world. That what he wants to do is so counter to the culture, especially in the day and age that we live in. So if we're too concerned about what other people might think, it's going to keep us from pleasing God. Here was Paul's commitment. He said this, obviously I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. He says to the church in Thessalonica, for we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. Paul had to make it clear 2,000 years ago when you didn't have people's opinions walking around with you in your pocket on your smartphone that you can't care too much about what other people think. Because if you're trying to just please people, you will not please God. Now hear me, this is not me saying, go ye therefore in the ways of the Lord and be a jerk. Okay, because some people hear this and they wear it as a badge of honor of like, well, I'm here to please God and not people, and that's why people hate me. No, they hate you because you're just mean, right? So we're not saying that you shouldn't, like Jesus did, grow in favor and stature with man and God. You absolutely should do that. We don't hear a lot about Jesus growing up, but we heard that part. We grow in favor and stature with both man and God. What we're saying is you just can't let the opinions of other people drive your life. So what does God definitely want? Here's what Paul tells us. He wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. It's 1 Timothy 2.4. Who wants everyone to be saved and understand the truth. Jesus wants people walking with him, living in him. That's what he definitely wants. Who cares what other people might think about that? People pleasing will keep you from pleasing God. Third commitment this morning, I am committed to being unreasonable about what God can do. I am committed to being unreasonable about what God can do. You ever notice that sometimes the biggest limitation in your life as far as what God can do is the thoughts you tell yourself? 
It's the self-talk that you give yourself. It's the internal dialogue that starts talking you out of what God wants to do. Like, God wants to move, but you're like, I don't know. Like, we do realize that when we say we're following Jesus, we're following a man who told us that he would be killed, told us he would be buried for three days, told us he would be resurrected, told us he would ascend to heaven. We're following a Jesus who's done incredible, impossible things, and yet we take the God of the impossible and we want to, like, nerf him down a little bit and make him seem more reasonable as if we're going to reason people into the kingdom of God. There was a day that people really cared about your apologetics. That day isn't today. What people need today, in a day where there's so much skepticism about God, so much skepticism and many times rightfully earned about the church, is they need people who are gonna say, you know what, we're gonna experience God together. This is why I love, one of the favorite things about Rosemary Community Dinner is we have people who are absolutely, in a loving way, unreasonable about what God can do in people's lives. Like, it is not uncommon to be in that room, and people are eating, people are laughing, people are cutting up, and then you look over and see Robin Kim Burkhart praying for somebody. Because in that moment, that's what it looks like to be unreasonable. I don't care if everybody's eating. I don't care what everybody else thinks. You have something going on. Let's pray about it. It's not uncommon to go out in the lobby and see a guy like Ben Roberts or his wife Jackie out there talking to somebody and they just mention something's going on. Hey, can we pray about that? And they just go for it. That's what it looks like to be unreasonable, to say, I don't care what I think in this moment. God can do anything. He's the God of the impossible, so let's act like that. Jesus prays this prayer. He says about God, he's teaching people to pray. He says, may your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When Jesus says that, He's not exaggerating. He's actually saying this is possible. That you can experience the ways of God here and now. Sometimes we just have to be willing to be unreasonable to see it happen. We can't force anything, but we can have faith for everything. I can't make God move. I'm not in charge of him like that. If that's the way we view faith, we're not viewing it in a biblical way. I can't force God to do anything, but I can absolutely have faith for everything. I can ask him for anything and everything. I've just got to be willing to be unreasonable to say, why not pray this prayer? Why not ask him to move? Why not have the conversation? We have to be committed to being unreasonable about what God can do. And that takes us to our fourth and final commitment. It's that I am committed to continuing the work of the kingdom regardless of the results. Committed to the work of the kingdom regardless of the results. We care way too much about wins and losses. As Browns fans, you should know that, right? Because as well, I will, I will also be at this game tomorrow night unashamedly rooting for the Bengals in Cleveland. That's right. Some people clap for it. I appreciate that. This is one of those times where, like, they tell you in preaching class, like, know your audience. I know you, and I just don't care, okay? But we care way too much about results. We care way too much about what other people might think. We care way too much about being perceived as successful and being a part of something that's successful. We all have cared about that 
way too much at times in our lives. And what happens is that keeps us many times from even taking a swing and doing something for God. Because we're afraid, what happens if it doesn't happen? What happens if I pray for healing and somebody's not healed? What if I give a salvation appeal to somebody and they, they say, no, I'm good. What happens if it doesn't seem like it's working? We have to be people who do this. We do the work. We trust God with the results because he's the one who says he'll build his church. And then we just keep doing it. We keep repeating. This word kept coming to my mind this week, and the word was resolve. What we need as people is we need to be people who just have the resolve to keep doing what God has asked us to do. Be resolved to not really care that much about the results. Just keep doing what God's asked you to do. Let's put obedience over success. We have to be committed to continuing the work of the kingdom regardless of the results. Uh, Pastor Lance didn't know I was going to use this scripture here, so when he prayed it at the end there with Pastor Bree, I thought, ah, here we go. But there's this haunting portion of scripture where Jesus is speaking to his followers, and he's trying to help them see their world a little bit. Because it says this, that when he saw the crowds, so there's people coming to him in waves, trying to figure out what he's doing. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest, in charge of the results. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. So Jesus is saying, man, look at the people that are coming around right now who are lost, hopeless, confused. People haven't changed much in 2,000 years, right? But look at these people. And Jesus' posture towards them was compassion. And his response to that compassion was then sending his people to them. Because notice, he didn't just say, ask the Lord to send the workers but if we kept reading, this is the end of Matthew chapter nine. If we went to Matthew chapter 10, here's what you'd see, is the heading is gonna say, Jesus sends out the 72. That Jesus said, hey, absolutely pray for the Lord to send more workers in the harvest, but guess what, you're gonna go now. You want more workers, not because you're not gonna work, but because, man, it would really help you out. Jesus told them to pray a prayer that then they were gonna be the answer for. In this room, there is a ton of potential for the kingdom of God. Ton of potential. But we might have to change the way we think about our lives if we're gonna see what God wants to do, his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven, if we wanna see that actually come to fruition. We have to be people who are committed to continuing the work of the kingdom. We have to be committed to dying to ourselves. We have to be committed to living for what God definitely wants and not just what other people might think. We have to be committed to being unreasonable about the God who says he can do the impossible and actually believing him in that. So this morning, I don't have really a, a straightforward challenge for you, but here's something I want you to consider. Are you living life in a way that people could look at you and say, man, that is someone who is called by Jesus and empowered by the Spirit 
and living on mission. They're called by Jesus, empowered by the Spirit, and living on mission. Would you just where you are, would you bow your head and close your eyes? I want to pray for us. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're in this room. We thank you that you are speaking to us, that you are telling us the truth about ourselves. You're telling us the truth about God. You're telling us the truth about the mission of Jesus. You're, you're telling us what we need to hear. God, I just pray that today would be a day where we don't just feel challenged and then go back to what's normal, but we would really take the opportunity today to sit back and go, okay, what needs to change? Where haven't I died enough yet? Where am I caring too much about what other people think? How am I taking the God of the impossible and making him more palatable, more reasonable? Where am I just not even trying because I'm afraid of what failure might look like? Holy Spirit, help us to be people of resolve and of hope who believe that you can do anything and everything and yet you choose to do it through us. Jesus, we thank you. We love you. It's your name we pray.